bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these big signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Nebogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today's Tuesday, May 14th, 2013. I'll start this week's podcast with an update on tax reform efforts in Congress. Then, in our New Market Tax Credit segment, I'll discuss word that a bill will be introduced shortly to make the New Market Tax Credit permanent. Then, in our Historic Tax Credit section, I'll discuss congressional support for the Treasury Department to issue guidance for the Historic Tax Credit community to help counteract the chilling effect of the Historic Boardwalk Hall case and related developments. I also have two state items, one in Missouri and another from Iowa. Then, in our localizing tax credit segment, I'll discuss Novograd and Company's special report that analyzes the possible effect of tax reform on the amount of equity that can be raised from that low-income housing tax credit. I'll also review a report issued by the National Housing Conference and the Center for Housing Policy that calls for a temporary increase in the low-income housing tax credit cap in order to help address the need for housing for veterans. And finally, in this week's renewable energy discussion, I'll share news from Nebraska, where lawmakers recently advanced a bill that would allow wind and other renewable energy projects to qualify for existing state tax incentives. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news, House Ways and Means Chairman Dave Camp and Senate Finance Committee Chairman Max Baucus last week announced the launch of taxreform.gov. This new website is dedicated to attaining input from the public on tax reform. The site was developed in partnership with the Joint Committee on Taxation. In a statement about its launch, the Ways and Means Committee said that input from visitors will be valuable to the Senate Finance Committee and the House Ways and Means Committee as they craft tax reform legislation. The idea appears to have been inspired by efforts of former Ways and Means Chairman Dan Rosenkowski his efforts to engage the American public in the last major overhaul of the tax code back in 1986. Starting in 1985, though, then-Chairman Rosenkowski encouraged the American public to write and send letters in support of tax reform. This became known as the Write Rosty Campaign. Rosenkowski reportedly received more than 75,000 letters and postcards. These are letters from the American public in support of tax reform. Chairman Baucus and Camp have recreated the outreach effort with a 21st century twist. Visitors to the website can learn about tax reform and they can submit ideas as to how to improve the tax code. The site also provides a library of material that details the efforts by both Chairman Baucus and Chairman Camp over the past two years as they've worked to develop comprehensive tax reform proposals. Now in related news, Ways and Means Select Revenue Measures Subcommittee Chairman Pat Tiberi will hold a hearing on the Small Business and Passenger Entity Tax Reform Discussion Draft. They're going to hold a hearing tomorrow, Wednesday, May 15th. Now, this draft, though, was released back on March 12th. And this draft contains several core components that are intended 
to simplify tax compliance for small businesses and to provide certainty with respect to the ability of small businesses to recover certain costs immediately. Now, the draft also contains two separate options, and they're not really separate because some joint community taxation officials have suggested they're not necessarily separate as much as they could overlap. But these two options are designed to achieve greater uniformity between S-corporations and partnerships, two types of pass-through vehicles. One of the options revises current rules, and a second would replace the current rules with a new unified pass-through regime. Now, this hearing is intended to gather feedback on the details of the draft proposals, drafts which the committee intends to include as part of comprehensive tax reform legislation. The most direct impact this hearing is likely to have in the area of renewable energy tax credits, new market tax credits, long-lasting tax credits, and historic tax credits is the treatment of tax credits passing through a pass-through vehicle. Because normally these structures are set up where you have a pass-through vehicle allocating credits to investors. So we'll be keeping an ear to what's being said and the possible implications for tax credit developments. There were also other tax happenings in Washington, D.C. this week. First, the CBO, Congressional Budget Office, will release new tax baselines. These will be based on updated financial information from February. These new tax baselines will govern a lot of the deficit reduction talks to come later this year. The Senate Finance Committee is also to expect it to release its sixth option paper on Thursday. This sixth option paper is expected to cover the loan funding tax credit and new market tax credit, along with a host of other topics. There will then be a hearing on Thursday within the Senate Finance Committee, a closed-door hearing, I should add. So we'll be looking for that paper, and once it is out, we'll tweet a link so you yourself can review it and see what the Senate Finance Committee option paper says about the long housing tax credit and the new market tax credit. And then the week's going to end with a second House Ways and Means member-only meeting on the Joint Committee Taxation's tax reform report. This is a result of the working groups that the House Ways and Means Committee had formed, and the topic of real estate will be covered in roughly 10 minutes at this meeting, and that's the area where the loan compensating tax credit might be discussed, as well as certain other credits. But since there's only 10 minutes, and real estate is a rather broad topic, it's unclear as to how much coverage the loan compensating tax credit or the historic tax credit might garner, or even potentially the new market tax credit. And then finally this week, the House Republicans will also hold a retreat designed for them to help develop a consensus as to possible conditions and negotiation terms for the debt limit increase discussions expected later this year. And while we're speaking of the debt limit discussions later this year, on May 19th, technically the debt ceiling suspension ends. And once this suspension ends, the question will be, at what point does the federal government reach the debt ceiling? And then beyond that point, when will Treasury have exhausted the extraordinary measures they can use to delay hitting the debt ceiling? Many believe this deadline could get pushed back beyond September 30th. And the significance of September 30th is that's the fiscal year end for 2013, and a federal budget needs to be in place, or at least a continued resolution to fund the federal government by October 1st, or there would be a government shutdown. So we'll be watching this date, which is likely to hit on the debt ceiling sometime between August, which would be before September 30th, or if it pushes beyond September 30th into October. One key component of that are high revenue collections this last month 
and expectations that Fannie Mae and or Freddie Mac might be making large multi-billion dollar payments to the U.S. Treasury, which could then be used to reduce the debt and delay when the debt ceilings reached. In new market tax credit news, it appears that U.S. Senator from Missouri, Republican Roy Blunt, is ready to team up with Democratic Senator from West Virginia, Jay Rockefeller, to propose making the federal new market tax credit permanent. This bill is expected to be introduced soon. Now, at the time of this recording, legislation had not been formally introduced, but as you'd expect, Nova Gretton Company is monitoring the situation. When such a bill is introduced and more details are available, we'll post breaking news online at www.newmarketscredits.com and we'll send an email alert to our industry alert email subscribers list. And also, there'll be a few tweets. So stay tuned. In the meantime, let's turn to the great state of Texas, where Representative Jim Murphy is sponsoring House Bill 2061, which would create a state tax credit program similar to the federal new market tax credit. The primary goal of House Bill 2061 is to create tax credits to incentivize private investment in low-income community businesses in the state of Texas. The bill caps the program at $750 million in credits. Now, this is a program cap, not an annual cap. There's also some differences from the federal new market tax credit program, like the requirement for payment of a new market's performance guarantee fee or account, where investors would be required to deposit a refundable performance fee of $500,000. On May 9th, the House approved the bill, which now means it moves on to the Senate. We'll keep you updated on the progress of the bill in the Senate, and in the meantime, if you want to learn more about the bill, simply contact my partner, George Littlejohn, in our Austin, Texas office. In historic tax credit news, in late April, Congresswoman Nikki Zongas wrote to Treasury Secretary Jack Lew in support of the Historic Rehabilitation Tax Credit Program. Specifically, Representative Zongas reported in her letter that she has heard from constituents that much of the positive economic activity that flows from the historic tax credit has stopped as a result of the uncertainty caused by the Third Circuit Court of Appeals historic boardwalk hall decision. This decision combined with a lack of clear guidance that delineates acceptable alternative partnership structures for the industry has led to this slowdown. Representative Songus also writes that this quote, I'm quoting here, important good work, will not recommence until the Treasury Department, through the Internal Revenue Service, issues guidance that clearly sets forth the criteria that a rehabilitation project partnership must meet in order to be able to use the historic tax credit. Representative Zongas writes, and I quote again, the prompt issuance of guidance would be a win-win outcome, ensuring that this extremely worthy program resumes and that the IRS is satisfied that there is thorough compliance with the applicable tax laws, close quote. The letter mentions one estimate of the effects of this market disruption, an estimate that suggests over the next 12 months, 55,000 jobs won't be created, 1,000 structures won't be rehabilitated, and more than $3 billion in private funding will not flow to strategic historic property rehabilitation. Citing the pressing need for business growth and job creation, particularly in today's economy, she asked for Secretary Liu's support in getting guidance out in the next, get this, 60 days. This letter represents very encouraging support for the historic tax credit and shows how effective it can be for the tax credit community to contact their representatives and support important programs like the historic tax credit. I also note 
that we expect additional letters to come from other members of Congress and the U.S. Senate. Turning to the state level, we have another update from Missouri. As regular listeners will recall, during the past two years, Missouri state legislators have been debating the future of its tax credit programs. Most recently, lawmakers have passed legislation cutting historic preservation tax credits. Another bill capping the program, HB 698, is moving through the houses in these final days of the legislative session. Now, this bill would prohibit a taxpayer who receives other state tax credits from being eligible to receive a historic preservation tax credit for the same project. It would also reduce the carryback and carry-forward periods for all credits authorized on or after July 1, 2014. Now, I note that the House passed the bill with a 113 to 43 vote on April 22nd. Now, on April 30th, the Senate passed House Bill 698 with a 22 to 11 vote. However, there are discrepancies between the House and the Senate versions of the bill. From my perspective, most notably, the House version of the bill included an annual cap of $135 million. However, before approving the House Bill 698, senators capped the credits at $60 million a year. Supporters of the historic tax credit argue that a lower cap would make it increasingly difficult for rural areas of Missouri to compete for the limited amount of credits. Now, the Senate returned the amended bill to the House. The House refused to adopt the amended bill and requested the Senate recede from its position. And, as you might have guessed, the Senate declined. Because the House and Senate bills authorize different annual caps, a conference committee has been appointed. The committees have, until May 17th, the end of the legislative session, to come to agreement on and pass a single version of the bill. If they're unable to come to an agreement, the credit will remain unchanged. Copies of House Bill 698 and Senate Bill 120 can be found online at www.historictaxcredits.com. In brighter state-level news, we turn to Iowa. Iowa is one step closer to revising its state historic rehabilitation tax credit program. The Iowa Senate unanimously approved a bill last week that would modify some of the credits requirements to make the program easier to use and to expand eligibility. Now, established in 2000, the state historic tax credit is equal to 25% of rehabilitation costs for qualified historic buildings. Now, if passed, the bill would create an optional 12-month extension on the completion deadline for certain projects. The bill would also amend the amount of qualified rehabilitation costs. Now, another provision would expand the pool of projects eligible for the program's funding set aside for small projects. Now, this bill has been sent to Governor Terry Branstad for consideration. You can find a copy of the bill at www.historictaxcredits.com. In local housing tax credit news, in case you happen to have missed it, and we send out breaking news emails, tweets, etc., but in case you missed it, last week, Nova Grattan Company released a report that evaluates the effect that tax reform could have on the amount of equity that could be raised from the low-income housing tax credit. Now, the report assumes that the low-income housing tax credit continues at current levels. Obviously, that's a significant assumption, but it did assume that in order to gauge the impact of lower corporate tax rates and longer depreciation periods. Specifically, we wanted to know the possible ripple effects of these two reform outcomes on low-income housing tax credit investor yields, on investor equity pricing, as well as on the amount of equity that could be raised. Our evaluation found that if the amount of investor equity is held constant, 
that is the same amount as invested for the same amount of tax credits, but there are lower corporate tax rates and longer depreciation lives, then there is incredible downward pressure on low-income housing tax credit investor equity. Combining the effect of both lower rates and extended depreciation lives could mean a loss of between $220 million to nearly a billion dollars or even more in equity used to finance affordable rental housing. Now, our analysis is based on a series of calculations that use an investor internal rate of return model and a range of equity prices from $0.80 cents to $0.90 cents to a dollar. And it also considers both 9% and 4% taxes and bond investments. Further, the calculations consider the effect of the corporate tax rate dropping from the current level of 35% to 30 or potentially to 28%, or even as low as 25%. Now, when you combine the effect of the lower corporate tax rates with extending the depreciation period for residential rental property, most notably 27 and a half years to 40, you lose a significant amount of value through the deduction, both the time value of money and the value of the ultimate deduction. Now, I noted earlier that the range was $200 million to $1 billion or more. Now, obviously, a loss of as much as a billion dollars or more in annual equity that could be raised leads to a significant reduction in the total number of affordable rental housing units that can be built or rehabilitated each year. Now, you can find a copy of the report online at www.tashredhousing.com, and I'd also encourage you to let me know what you think about the findings. Please send me an email at michael.novogradic at novoco.com. In other affordable housing news, the National Housing Conference and the Center for Housing Policy released a guide last week that recommends housing strategies to address veteran homelessness. The guide reports that 1.4 million U.S. veterans live in poverty. Nearly 63,000 veterans are homeless on any given night. The guide said that permanent supportive housing is a proven solution to ending veteran homelessness. The authors say that case studies revealed there are three elements crucial to this effort. One is property-based rental assistance. Two is reliable funding for supportive services. And three are properties with little or no hard debt. Now, this last component, having little or no hard debt, highlights the importance of capital from the loan housing tax credit, home loans, and other gap financing resources. This guide applauded the local housing tax credit program's success in building affordable housing for veterans, and the authors recommended temporarily increasing the per capita local housing tax credit allocation by 7% for three years. It also had other recommendations that include more project-based rental assistance for veterans and better implementation of such assistance, more gap financing for veteran permanent supportive housing, and sustained and expanded resources for supportive services. You can find a copy of the housing guide at www.nhc.org. In renewable energy tax credit news, Nebraska lawmakers have advanced a bill that would allow wind and other renewable energy projects to qualify for existing state tax incentives. More specifically, the Revenue Committee last week voted to advance the bill for debate by the full legislature. Since 2006, the Nebraska Advantage Act has offered tax incentives to various industries, from telecommunications to manufacturing. Now, if passed, LB 104 would amend the definition of qualified business under the Nebraska Advantage Act. The proposed bill would amend the program's definition of qualified business to include renewable energy sources, 
such as wind, solar, geothermal, hydroelectric, biomass, and transmutation of elements or the conversion of one chemical element into another. The State Department of Revenue has indicated that capital intensity and limited employment requirements of renewable energy projects likely mean only major wind farms would qualify under the investment in job creation thresholds. The fiscal note reported that whether the federal wind production tax credit is extended would influence the long-term fiscal impact of the bill. Now, the bill is currently in the select file phase, which is the second stage of consideration by the full legislature. From there, it can be amended, returned to committee, indefinitely postponed, or advanced to final reading. We'll report on this progress in future podcasts. And in the meantime, you can find a copy of the bill at www.energytaxcredits.com. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. This is Michael Novogratik, and I'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novoco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratik and Company, LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.